I know at first it will feel like this is infringing upon or inhibiting your creative process, but I promise you, if you bring in just a little bit of structure, you'll see a higher yield. It's like grapevines. You know, if you just let them trail across the ground, you're not gonna get nearly as much fruit as if you bring in some structure. Welcome to episode one of season nine of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. And if it's not, let me know and I'll get it there. If you've heard the show before, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes or go ahead and drop us a comment in Burtaker or CastBox. This season is titled Building a Profitable Service and Building It Better. It's all about leveling up our businesses to help create a more profitable and sustainable long-term business. Especially in this COVID and soon to be post-COVID time, I think it's important to be able to learn from one another in any way that we can until we can meet face-to-face. Speaking of meeting face-to-face, today's co-host is Austin Church. I've known Austin for a number of years and had the pleasure of meeting him face-to-face at a conference a couple of years ago. Austin is a brand consultant, writer, and freelance coach based in Knoxville, Tennessee. He leads the team at Belernum, a branding and marketing studio, and Freelance Cake is his business growth course for freelancers and consultants. His passion is helping creatives make more money, get more freedom, and lead extraordinary lives. For Austin, clearly defined processes are a critical piece of the puzzle. And in this episode, we dive into how this poet is a stickler for processes and SOPs, but why it's important for his business. We also talk about the three things that he realized he needed to accomplish his goals and why he became a stickler for that process. We'll also go into the quick wins from his 10-minute framework for figuring out what priorities to start offloading to someone else. This isn't a great one. So here's Austin and myself. Are you feeling like you're in a silo all by yourself with no one to bounce ideas off of? Are you looking to get predictable revenue into your service-based business? Do you want better clients who respect you? Well, gain the support from like-minded developers, designers, and other creative professionals providing client services inside a Feast Club. Forget those stale articles from 2008 giving you advice on how to run your business. It's 2021. Join Feast Club today and get access to a community, including myself, where we share what we're working on in real time, strategies and resources that work in today's market, and ideas and support for one another in a safe place. You'll get access to a private podcast, which has bonus episodes from some of the guests in this season that you can only get inside a Feast Club. 
You'll also get access to a monthly one-hour virtual meetup, a private Slack and Circle community, member-only content library, access to message yours truly directly. Also, you're going to get exclusive expert workshops from folks like Kaylee Moore on pricing, Robin Kennedy on email, and Nick Gulig on sales, and so many more. There is no better time than right now to learn from those a few steps ahead of you and leverage your skills to help and support others to grow all of our businesses together. So if you want to check it out and join a community that's built on the saying, a rising tide raises all boats, head on over to feastclub.co today. I hope to see you on the inside of the club. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey, feasters. Welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to bring on Austin here. Austin, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today. We've kind of crossed paths on social, but then we met at a conference in Virginia a number of years back. And, you know, we've kept in contact. And, and one of the things like that we have a common thread about is, is family. I mean, we were talking about family beforehand and even had a little bit of a family interruption, which is always a fun thing too, right? But for those that may not know who you are out there, can you just share a little bit about why you do what you do? Sure. So I'm married to a lovely woman named Megan. We have three kids. The oldest is seven. The youngest is two. And so, so many of my professional and business choices have been wrapped up into family and a goal of being the dad who's around so much that my kids really want me to go away. And <laughs> That's awesome. So that has sent me on a journey and kept me in this process of constant exploration with how do I have more time freedom? How can I cut out in the middle of the day and hang out with one of the kids or go on a field trip or go home early on a Friday? And so a lot of my own process and development, like I said, goes back to that core motivation of just being around a lot because my family is really important to me. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, same thing. I built a business so that I could see those first steps, hear those first words and look, go outside on a nice Tuesday afternoon if it, the time is right, right? And without having to ask another adult for permission. <laughs> like that was, for me, that's that's why. So for your business, right? And what what's interesting is, as you said it there, for yourself, it, the, one of the goals is that time freedom. And in the context of when I asked you for your little bio thing so that I could put it on the website and things, one of the key points there was, was that you enjoy helping creatives get more freedom as well. And so I thought that was pretty interesting how you kind of juxtapose those two things together in that one leads into the other. And for your business, how do you help creatives do that? So one of the things I end up talking about a lot with coaching clients and in my course and even just blog posts, social posts, all the writing that I do is how do you charge more? I think that money equals time freedom. Money equals walk away power. 
you have a lot more confidence in parting ways with a client that represents a less than ideal relationship for you if you've got cash reserves in the bank. So a lot of the initial conversations go back to by selling premium services at a premium rate, you will have more time freedom. Another thing that I teach quite a bit is the value of process and standard operating procedures. I don't believe in efficiency for its own sake, but I do believe in not wasting time unnecessarily when better process, clearly defined process, well-documented process can automate a lot of the non-creative tasks that are essential and standardize them and ultimately improve the quality of them so that you're clearing out your mental creative zone, having more time and better energy for the creative work that is so satisfying, so much more satisfying than something like setting up the project in your project management software or blowing up the process yet again or starting from a blank slate yet again when you are working on a new website or you're onboarding a new client. And so I have become such a big fan of SOPs, which is honestly hilarious to me because my master's degree is in poetry writing. My thesis was a collection of my own poems. And if you went back to that younger version of Austin and say, you were such a stickler for process now to the point where your team kind of makes fun of you and rolls their eyes. They're like, I'm sure there's already a template for that. You know, uh, where's the checklist? Where's the cheat sheet? You know, but um, for me, process equals freedom. I want to have more time to spend on the parts of a project, whether it's for a client or it's for myself, I want to have more time to spend on the parts of the project that I love. And by, by tying down some of the essential but non-creative tasks, action steps, that sort of thing, tying them down with documentation, man, I have so much more freedom. I have so much more joy in my work. And I love spreading the gospel of process to (laughs) other creatives and saying, I know at first it will feel like this is infringing upon or inhibiting your creative process. But I promise you, if you bring in just a little bit of structure, you'll see a higher yield. It's like grapevines. You know, if you just let them trail across the ground, you're not going to get nearly as much fruit as if you bring in some structure. And so I could pull in natural metaphors for days, but I think I made the point. Yeah. 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 I like that actually, because I mean, that's the thing, like at the core of who I am, it's a developer. While development does have its own frameworks and structures and syntax and everything else, the appeal, and you talk to any developer, yes, they have their own fallback language that they like and they're used to. And it's like, you know, home, but they're always looking at that next thing. They're always looking at that next shiny new language that's out there. What does that do? What does that can do? But then that kind of maybe could throw up all of the process, right? And like, you're like, oh, well now, 
oh, now I got to retool everything and set up my whole environment. It's all different and all that stuff. But in the context of, look, you said, you know, a poet, right? Like that younger version of yourself, what happened between then and now that said like, hey, if I just put this in place, these SOPs, this documentation, this framework of the things that are maybe unsexy like, you know, that's this, like you said, project management setup, new client onboarding, whatever it is. What happened in between there that made you kind of go over that fence and say, yes, this is, this is the thing to do? So a number of things. I really care about quality. I think because I came into creative work and entrepreneurship and freelancing through the door of a specific craft, type of craftsmanship, I really do care about quality. Higher quality is more satisfying to me. And yet, if you're charging clients for a project, the more time you sink into the project, the less profitable the project becomes. So there's a tension there between quality and profitability that I, as a craftsman, really struggled with. And I started looking for a solution to be able to maintain quality while also over time incrementally lowering my time investment in any given project because then I had that time to do with whatever I wanted. I had that profit too, to do with whatever I wanted, but that was the first thing. Second thing is I have historically done really high quality work, which meant I get referrals and repeat business and I have been able to grow and raise my rates. And there was this virtuous cycle, but what would happen is burning down and coming to the border of burnout. And so if you continue to work and you continue to get more clients and it's really attractive to have the money. And again, it's about the freedom and the lifestyle. Well, suddenly this funny thing that my friend Dick Hinton says becomes, uh, you know, this harsh reality as a freelancer, I get to pick my own hours, any 60 I want. And so again, you can become cursed by your own competence or cursed by your own success where you're finally getting the projects and the clients you want, maybe even income you want, but you're working much longer hours than anyone who has a nine to five that you know. The third thing was needing more help and not having a really good way to delegate. I was asking both freelancers and full-time employees that I had to learn telepathy, like to read my mind. And I'd be disappointed and they would be frustrated when I would look at the quality of their work and they would have missed the mark according to me. And Yet at the same time, it was totally unrealistic for me to think, well, I've been doing this 10 years. I had a lot of raw talent when I got started. Well, if I then recruit someone who's 23 to help me do this work, is it realistic at all to expect someone with a decade, you know, 10 years less of experience to have the same output in the same amount of time? 
Of course not. So it's a, a light bulb went off when I realized that I needed to document processes and then ask a person to run a process instead of a person to perform a task. And I know there's a nuance there, but as soon as I crystallized the process outside of my own mind, I was able to start seeing a, an acceptable level of quality. And I'll share one very quick story. I asked a junior writer on my team to write a blog post for me. And I said, you know what? I'm actually going to write down my process. This is probably three years ago when I really got serious about this. And Jason, guess how many steps I went through without fully realizing it just to write a single blog post? I'd say over 25. 33. Was it highly likely that a junior writer who was not hip to my process would leave out a high number of those steps? Yes. As soon as I gave him the process, even though he had less experience and to be honest, less skill, because he didn't have as much time as I've had to accumulate it, what was the outcome? The level of quality was perfectly acceptable based on the expectations that we've set with clients. And so it's the same way with writing code. It's the same way with design. If you put someone with enough talent, let's say a B-level talent on an A-plus process, they can achieve an A-minus outcome. And A-minus is usually enough to exceed client expectations. And in the software world, to not accumulate too much technical debt. So those three factors are what sort of started me on a journey to be like, I've got to figure something out. And, you know, of course, friends of mine who've been in the corporate world or the manufacturing world are like, what about SOPs? And I'm like, what is this SOP? <laughs> Say more about this SOP, right? So those right. three things. Yeah, it's funny how you, those three things that you mentioned, a lot of that same thing came to me as well, right? And so, like, I don't have a team or anything like that, but yet I do have, you know, somebody that does my podcasts and I do have help from time to time to come in on a project, maybe to develop on something. So, having these SOPs in place that basically just a Google Drive folder of like, this is what you need to do, screenshots, so on and so forth. It allowed my process that was in my brain, the expectations, as you said, that I put on somebody else. Now it's in black and white, right? Now they can see it and, and they can, can read it. Barely hold them accountable. Right. They leave out steps because the steps were right there. Yep, exactly. And much to your point, one of the big things that came to me was burnout. I full on burned out the whole nine yards and back in 2012 at the point where I said to my then fiance, now wife, that I was going to go get a job because I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. And like what was happening at that point was, is I was such a generalist developer I was doing projects for Ruby on Rails and PHP and WordPress and going all the way back and forth and all of these things. It literally was like, had my head 
on like a swivel all the time. Whiplash, constant whiplash. And I couldn't, I couldn't keep doing that. And I said to her, I was just like, look, I got to go get a job. And it was the second time because I did, I left uh, back in 2003, I left a consultancy, which I was basically made redundant because the whole dot-com imploded in on itself. And I was working for a consultant firm that put all their eggs in it dot-com startup basket. I said, well, the 18 months, I wound up having to go get a job there and two years doing again. The second time I was like, maybe this isn't just for me. Maybe there's some expectation. And so she kind of like, even though it's funny because she's the rock in our relationship, she wants to know where all the consistency, the paychecks coming from, the bills are paid and the whole nine yards. I knew from myself, like I didn't want to put her through that roller coaster ride that a feast and famine and all that other stuff that I was going through at the time, she was like, but that's not what you want. So I, if, if I know that you don't want to get a job, then you certainly don't. And so I was like, whoa, it was like a mind blowing thing at that point. Cause I was like, wasn't what I was expecting. It was a complete 180 of everything. I was like, okay, well, if, if she has the faith in me, then I got to figure this out myself, right? But one of those end results was to start putting in processes in. Like when you get a new client, this is the steps that you do. This is how you write the proposal. This is where you go. This is the screenshots, so on and so forth. But before we get into your process in, in trying to define all of these things, I always like to ask, what's your defining moment in life so far? Oh, man, that is a really good question. And I'll share the thing that comes to mind most recently. Uh, maybe it is recency bias, but... I mean, there are big life events, right? Getting married and saying, hey, I'm forming a covenant with this person. That one and having each of our three kids, those are, I think, a little bit more obvious. So I'll share one that's less obvious. The, The moment is my connecting a couple of dots. And one of the dots came when I was listening to a podcast episode of the Knowledge it's an episode of the Knowledge Project podcast with Shane Parrish. And he had on this guy named Jim Dethmer, who's an executive coach and author and was at Bridgewater Associates for a while. And I realized that I needed to accept myself. And I know that sounds almost banal, but I have been so driven and so ambitious for all of my adult life. Meanwhile, I'm a perfectionist. And so I tend to not start things until I feel like I can do them well, which is defeating because most of the time, if you're doing something new, you will start by not doing it well by definition because you're a beginner. And so I had at the craft and commerce conference in Boise in June last year started working on a big project. It was a course for freelancers called freelance cake ended up launching it in December in, in this whole mess. I'm like, I've wanted to do this for years. What took me so long? And sometimes it was feeling like the old guy in the room and that ship had sailed Sometimes it was feeling like it was selfish to work on something I cared about 
deeply when I have a family. And at the time I had a business partner and it's like, if this is not guaranteed to succeed, is it selfish for me to like sink so much time into this? But I would say that has been a defining moment because I realized that I may as well pick a struggle I can love. I'm going to have problems regardless. Any path you pick will have problems. So last June, I started doing the work and building the business I want or will want 10 years from now. And I've started doing it one hour at a time. With those one hour sprints, there is so much you can accomplish in a year. One hour a day for a year, right? And so I say that was a defining moment because ironically, when I started accepting myself, that didn't make me lazy or cause me to lose my edge. It instead helped me with a kind of peace settle into myself and just buckle down to doing the work I really wanted to be doing for me, for the love of it regardless of whether it was a commercial success, quote unquote, regardless of whether it made me famous, which is not super important to me, but I want to serve people maybe out of a true and sincere desire to serve people. I should do work that I love labor and obscurity. That's what it takes. And really enjoy being me in the process. That may have been a little bit more, I don't know, candid than you wanted, but it's just strange. I've been a high achiever my whole life. And I think a lot of that drive came out of like, I'm going to achieve so that I can never be excluded. Now I want to do the work that I love because there's a group of people I'm passionate about serving. I've had a lot more peace in my life and I've enjoyed my work a lot more. I've had a lot more joy in my life too. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, that that's, it resonates with me to my core because the audience member, you, you probably have heard this from me before, but my wife knows when I'm coding and fighting with log files and server errors and all the rest of it throughout the day, or I'm having a conversation with, with you, Austin, or, you know, a coaching client or somebody else where I'm actually serving them in a way where it's benefiting them in some sort of way or giving some value. And I could walk through these office doors at the end of the day and my wife immediately knows what, what I was doing that day. <laughs> <laughs> the demeanor, who I am, like I'm still me when I walk out there. I'm even lighter on my feet kind of thing. It's, it's what fuels you and what, you know, like what you really get up in the morning for. And I, I so resonate with, with what you just said there. So thank you for sharing that. And this is by no means the end, but look, I'm always trying things with the, the, the podcast in and of itself, but rather than leaving it all the way to the end, where can folks reach out and say thanks to you and, and say hello? So I'm on Twitter at Austin L church. I run a branding and marketing studio called Belernum. So you can check us out at B A L E R N U M.com. Those are two of the best places 
I have so many different websites and email addresses. It's almost not even uh, worth sharing. Freelancecake.com is the course, but Instagram, you know, I'm on all of your friendly local internets. So. <laughs> we'll also link up all of those in the show notes as well. So you can reach out and connect with Austin. I mean, he's, we've known each other for years now over socials. We've met in person, we've broken bread. So great guy always to talk to you. So we talked about the transition when you were talking about like, this is what I needed to do. How do you actually go about doing it? I mean, it's unsexy. A lot of us are creative. Like it's like, oh, the last thing I want to do is pull up a blank page Mm -hmm. and start writing out one open this program to <laughs> click on this. Like that sucks, right? It so sounds awful. Yes. Okay. So, so how do you walk through creating these, these procedures? Sure. So I think you bring up a good point, which is process design and documentation is this monolith that casts a long shadow. And if like when I'm helping our clients do it, we always start with the executive leaders and we start with their personal margin. So I think this is true also for designers and developers. Pull out a sheet of paper, draw a square, draw a line down the middle, and then ask yourself, the question, which tasks do I not particularly enjoy? Which tasks am I not particularly good at? And which tasks don't make me money even if I recognize their importance? Those I call low leverage. And so if you like, you can write low leverage over the column on the right. Column on the left, high leverage, those are tasks I enjoy, tasks that I'm exceptionally good at and tasks that have a direct financial impact in my business. Now, keep in mind that I love to write and that is the bane of someone else's existence. So these are very personal, right? And so when you look at, okay, how and where do I make my highest and best contribution? that's going to be very personal. And so that's why you have to do this exercise for yourself. You can't just read a blog post and adopt someone else's SOPs, right? But once you do this little exercise, it may only take you 10, 15 minutes. We're not talking about all day. What I then recommend is that you go back and you look at your low leverage list and you look for the tasks in there that, pop up frequently. I'll give you one very specific example. Calendar management, just booking appointments and changing appointments and the client needed to punt the call and so now it needs to be next Friday instead of this Tuesday, whatever. Something like calendar management is low leverage, meaning someone else could, with a little bit of training, do this just as well as you and it's high frequency, it needs to be done a lot, it pops up a lot. And so when I'm helping people build momentum with this 
design and documentation process, process of processes, right? We always start with low leverage, high frequency tasks, because if you do write out the steps, for me, it was, what are my preferences with my calendar? Well, I like to not have meetings afternoon or after about 1 p.m. on Fridays. I like to stack as many meetings on Thursday afternoon as I can because that's my relationships day anyway. You know, you already have preferences. Once you write them down and once you list out the steps, well, it's like magic. If you pick a low leverage, high frequency task to document first and you build a standard operating procedure around that, that's what's going to get you the most time back most quickly. And also that's what is going to thus free you up to then dump more time into the tasks where you do think you're making your highest and best contribution. And some tasks require more nuance than others. I recognize that. So I will sit down and think, is this task something that can be easily accomplished with just like a checklist or with a template, like an email template, or is this task like, hey, you know, Jason is always needing to upload the final edited audio file for a new podcast episode to this place. Well, maybe a screen capture tutorial video is going to make a lot more sense, especially if it's a companion to a written checklist. And so one of my big breakthroughs was deciding to not train people, but to create training and give people access to it. That way, if a member of my team who is a freelancer is like, hey, sorry, I just got a full-time job. I'm not available to help you in this capacity anymore. There's not this huge brain drain when like my, my training doesn't walk out the door with that person, right? And so we use Notion. We have, I think of them as playbooks where a, we might have a client onboarding playbook and the playbook not only has the entire process, but it has the onboarding questionnaire that we use and here's the link. It has the alignment meeting agenda and here's the link. It has the link to the screen capture tutorial video where we're like, here's exactly how you set up that client's folder and subfolders in Google Drive, whatever. But the idea that I'm going to create training and give people access to it, and I'm going to start with low leverage, high frequency tasks was a huge turning point in my business. And that's when I saw a lot of the satisfaction and joy returning to my work because I suddenly had a solution to, can I collaborate with more people? How can I get more help and support without seeing a, a nosedive in quality? Yeah. And I think another side effect of this, as you were talking there, especially like calendar management, right? Client, send you an email, 
you're deep in work an hour before that call is supposed to happen. You see the ding on your phone or it comes across your corner of your web, you know, your computer or whatever it is. All of a sudden it's from a client and you're like, oh, and that you all of a sudden your brain starts going, oh, yes, that's a that's a client I'm supposed to talk to. What is that going to do? So it pulls you up out of whatever deep work you're actually in, going over into your inbox, reading that. Then you got to the whole context switching thing there is so costly and expensive, especially in the creative space. Much to what you're saying there, as far as the SOP stuff, like for like for me, you know, automation comes pretty naturally. Like it could be the developer in me or whatever. But I always say, like, if I could, if I have to do the same thing manual twice, let me see if I can script it. So that's why it's calendar management, right? That's always been one of my big like sticking points like since before there was calendly and all the rest of it i'm like oh my god this is like <laughs> it's awful right right yeah. I, but, but then now that there is things like calendly acuity and all these other ones that are out there it's a matter of just setting the expectation now once somebody sends you you know the calendly i actually also tell them if you need to reschedule or change this or cancel or whatever it is the link is right there to do it Right. Like you don't have to reach out to me. You could just go ahead and do that. And it's just allowing that space in my head to know that that's now taken care of is so, so effective because much to like what you're saying about uploading the podcast and all that other stuff. Like for me, hey, Adam, yeah, you know, Adam is my producer. So he actually goes through these files and things and him and his team do the audio, they do the upload, they do all of this. But we worked together beforehand so that he knew how that fit into my business, right? And so the SOP stuff is super, super important. I just want to mention here that Austin has graciously offered up his process, his initial process on trying to figure out the exercise in organizing your processes. <laughs> I'm trying not to say process too much, but... Uh, Setting right? priorities... There are so many different things that you could document. Where do you start? And I think a common mistake when people, and I made this mistake and you may have too, Jason, you go crazy. You're like, I could document everything, right? Well, you end up documenting processes that were not high priorities, so how do you set those priorities? And honestly, how do, how do you get some quick wins and build momentum so that you even want to keep going down this whole SOPs path? Yeah. And I think that that's super important because I did that. I was like, all right, next process that I start tomorrow, I'm going to just pull up Google Docs and I'm going to start writing them out. And then like, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, this is great. I just wrote 20 minutes. I spent an extra 20 minutes on the task that probably only took me about 15 minutes to do. Yes. But I'm only doing this like once a month or once every other month. Like, yes. What was the point of that? <laughs> like, all right. Well, so I, I love that. And that, yeah, and I had a sneak peek into what that looks like. And he does outline how to figure out what those priorities were. So definitely go ahead. I shared the link in the show notes. Uh, certainly go ahead and, and get that. For those quick wins, right? So if, especially in the designer, developer, even online marketer space, I mean, there's a lot of us that are in this audience, what would be your 
initial point to kind of say, like, you know, we were talking about the priorities. Would it be more on client management side, offboarding, sales? So I think there's a fine, like, there's nuance. There are certain things that I may not love, but just where my business is in its life cycle, I still need to be the one to do those things. Like even stuff like creating proposals, scoping and estimating and like putting together like the pricing and packages. There's really no one on my team that can do that. I don't love it, but I need to be the one to do it. But when it comes to, okay, like where to kind of get started, I think it's a simple rule of thumb. Like which of this stuff really gets on my nerves and which of the stuff would I love to just bounce over to someone else? Or maybe I don't enjoy it and I still need to do it, but doing it would actually be much more manageable. I'm running through a checklist. So like one of our processes is after we launch a new website, we need to actually tie up any loose ends and dot our I's and cross our T's with SEO. So rather than thinking about what are all like the SEO things that we need to do, it's like, okay, we need to, we need to submit the sitemap to Webmaster Console. We need to give the client access to their own Google Analytics account. There are all these little housekeeping things that no one loves. I don't know of a single person who loves doing those things. But being able to say like, all right, I've had another cup of coffee. It's 10 a.m. I'm going to crank through these things because I already have my comprehensive list and I can just grind through them. You can have a, a kind of savage pleasure in doing work that you don't particularly love on most days, but if you do it efficiently and you get it out of the way as quickly as possible, there is a different type of pleasure that kicks in, right? Mm -hmm. And But one other little caveat, building out my team has taught me something that's really important that continues to surprise me. And that is a lot of the tasks and projects that get on my nerves, other people actually enjoy. And so I'm not actually doing a disservice to another human being by saying, hey, would you mind following up with so-and-so and see if they've tracked down the logo source file yet? My project manager, she like truly doesn't mind. And then uh, I actually learned this years ago when I was running a, a business that sold source codes to developers. And I realized that that had an assistant at the time and he really did not mind answering customer support emails, but that was my kryptonite, right? So one of the beautiful payoffs of process design and documentation is you take something you never enjoyed, you give it to someone who either really likes it or at least doesn't mind it, you free up space to do more of the work that you most enjoy and everyone is happier. And so as, as daunting or as even like tedious as the process of 
process design and documentation may seem at first on the other side of it is a whole lot more freedom, a whole lot more happiness and everybody staying in their lane, which helps with culture, which helps with morale and ultimately helps with retention. And even with this guy, right? I actually want to stay in my own business. I'm not like, you know, <laughs> I should go do something else because I'm like, oh, like I'm helping everybody make their highest and best contribution. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And it, that is a, such a mindset thing because you think that it, if you don't like it, it's like, oh, I'm giving somebody else this terrible task that I, I don't like and it stinks. Right. But, and I never really thought about it that way either. <clears throat> Until just now, me as an introvert, and a lot of us are that do this sort of work development design, we'd much rather just be in our own heads and doing the work, right? But customer support is part of business. And there are plenty of people that love doing customer support. So if that's not your thing, just figure out what it is. Like you're saying, like go grab Austin's sheet, right? Go grab that process and begin that work. See if that stuff fit into those buckets for you. Go find somebody that may like that customer support or that client engagement, like via email or whatever it is that you don't like so much. Right? So there's tons of people. Everybody has their 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 likes, what they want to do. People look at lines of code and they're like, the glassy eye. They're like, I don't know what the heck this guy is doing all day long. I just know he's producing something. That's right. <laughs> but at the same time, I love that. I could stay there all day long, right? But, you know, so I, I like that. I love that thinking. And I think that that's an excellent point there. Before I let you go, what's up next for the next six, 12 months? I mean, I know the world we live in now, six months ago, we had no idea what <laughs> this six months looked like, but what's on the planner, if you will, for the next six, 12 months? Thank you for that question. I will continue to sell and coach around the freelance cake content in part because I've already seen a bunch of success stories and in part because that's when Megan sees the less grumpy version of Austin. <laughs> that's so true. It's like, I know what you did today and it wasn't your favorite work, right? So I just really believe in that framework. And to some degree, I want to help people avoid making, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons you started living the feast and you got into coaching is you, you become passionate about helping people not only avoid your mistakes, but avoiding mental traps and all of the bad advice out there. I'm working on a book. So that has been really exciting when it comes to writing. And this is what you're talking about with like coding Writing is where I lose track of time. And even with our three kids and learning them and trying to be the best student of each one of them, I pay attention to what are they doing when they lose track of time? Because later on when they're teenagers and young adults, I'll be like, hey, do more of the thing that is like playing in a sandbox. So I'm really excited to have that book project. I plan to have a full manuscript by the end of the year. 
And then we're slightly pivoting Balernum so that we're going to work with more online creators, course creators, online entrepreneurs. It was this aha moment where I realized these are my people, like bloggers and podcast hosts and course creators and coaches and consultants and uh, people who create digital products. Like these are my people. And because with freelance cake and austinlchurch.com, I have like these specific goals with audience growth and leveraged income and that sort of thing suddenly occurred to me that I'm like, Oh, and here's the group of people who have very similar goals, very similar challenges. Balernum could put all of our brand development firepower at their disposal. Why don't I look for ways to make these two business ventures converge? Again, that would seem so obvious to anyone else. They're like, oh, why don't you just spend more time with the people you love the most, right? And for me, it's not like the CEO of a manufacturing company necessarily. It's, you know, a coach or a course creator or a Jason or so many of the other people who've been on your show and the other friends we've made at conferences. So that is the next six to 12 months. And on the more personal level, enjoying ordinary moments. I have just over the last six months realized how precious life is and had those moments where if you change one tiny thing about this moment, I would look back later and see this moment as paradise. So there are so many moments recently, whether it's just me sitting on my front porch, talking to one of my kiddos or finally going out on a date with Megan or having a conversation with my dad or having a whole morning of writing to myself, just giving thanks and recognizing that my life is already filled with these little moments of paradise. And with a little bit more awareness, I can appreciate them while they're happening instead of later. So that's the next 12 months. Great question. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. I've been trying to, especially with a three and a one-year-old, like there there are times where that (laughs) blood pressure goes a little high, right? But, you know, I'm just trying to think just before we started recording, we were talking about potty training, right? Like (laughs) those little moments, right? But, you know, it it is what it is. And so I've been trying to, as, as a dad, just be able to like almost have these snapshot moments, like of them just playing together or separately doing their thing, like just these little Polaroids, right? Like dating myself, right? But these Polaroids in my mind of like, hey, this is, he was three and a half when he did that, you know? And so I appreciate that for sure. Well, thank you, Austin, for coming onto the show today and sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. I do appreciate it. And I know I could speak on behalf of the audience that they do as well. It was a joy. Thanks for the opportunity. And hopefully we'll get to see each other again in person sometime in this decade. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think we were both going to go to craft and commerce this year, right? Yes. Yes. What a bummer, but maybe soon. Yeah, maybe soon. So I appreciate you coming on to the show and for everyone listening until next time, it's your time to live in the feast.